the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Dave King is engineering today's program. James Blind is producing. We were anticipating a conversation with Eric Metaxas. He is on a book tour and had to reschedule. We have rescheduled him for next week. But he won't be on the program today. So I apologize to those of you who are anticipating that conversation. But that very conversation will take place next week. I'm not even sure which day it is, but I'll let you know. Uh, His book um, on atheism is the subject of uh, our uh, conversation, and that will take place a week later than anticipated. So in its place, we're going to share a conversation I had earlier with Dr. Robert Jeffress. His latest book is Invincible, Conquering the Mountains That Separate You from the Blessed Life. His book is published by Baker Books. It's uh, inspirational, and he'll we'll share that conversation in the second hour of today's program. Well, just earlier, um, an hour or so ago, the Food and Drug Administration authorized booster shots for the Moderna and Johnson & Johnson coronavirus vaccines. A Centers for Disease Control and Prevention panel issued uh, recommendations, or they will issue recommendations on Thursday regarding which groups should receive boosters and on what timeline. Once those recommendations are made, booster shots for those two versions of the coronavirus uh, uh, vaccine, Moderna and Johnson and Johnson could be available within days, according to the Wall Street Journal. Well, the FDA also authorized mixing and matching coronavirus vaccines, something they had frowned upon earlier, allowing Americans to receive a different vaccine for their booster shot than their original vaccine. Well, some research has indicated that mixing coronavirus vaccines may produce stronger immune responses and several European countries as well as Canada, have already allowed their residents to mix vaccines prior to booster shots. Well, the Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau received an AstraZeneca vaccine for his first shot and Moderna for his second. Well, the FDA authorization will allow any recipient of the one-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine to receive a second dose of either the Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, or Pfizer vaccines at least two months after the first shot. Recipients, however, of the two-dose Moderna and Pfizer vaccines have to wait at least six months before receiving the booster. For now, seniors or people at high risks of COVID-19 because of underlying medical or workplace conditions may receive a booster shot once that six-month period has lapsed. Well, the administration authorized boosters for Pfizer vaccine just a month for se- uh, last month, I should say, for seniors and immunocompromised Americans. That decision came following some confusion over the authorization timeline. The FDA hadn't said that boosters were necessary and the president announced they would be available. Um, he claimed in August uh, that um, that whole thing that created some confusion. Nonetheless, the FDA has spoken whether or not the American people will respond is or at least should be up to them. Well, President Biden has privately informed Democratic lawmakers he is optimistic that they can reach an agreement on a social spending plan 
capped at about one point nine trillion dollars, which means it's probably closer to three to four trillion dollars, a spending target that would mark a significant reduction from the vast economic overhaul he initially envisioned. That's according to a report from yesterday. And the lobbying continues. The president detailed a potential deal for a spending proposal of between one point seven five to one point nine trillion during a private meeting on Tuesday, the Washington Post reported, and they cited sources familiar with the matter. Well, the president was said to have shared the outline with at least some Democratic lawmakers. The revised package includes many of the original plan's signature proposals, including universal pre-K, substantial investment in green energy and expanded Medicare benefits. However, the source uh, told the Washington Post the details were still subject to change. Representative uh, Pamela Jayapal, a Democrat out of Washington, uh, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, um, along with the other lawmakers, uh, said that talks with reporters outside the West Wing of the of uh, the Washington area on Tuesday uh, had much to say about the president's proposals. Well, the Post reported the downsized spending plan could cut or reduce several programs uh, favored by progressive leaders, including less money than they wanted for affordable public housing, a child tax credit extension of just one year, and reduced paid leave. Now, yesterday I went through a a laundry list of some of the items that I consider more disturbing in the the plan but there are certainly others as well well the latest spending benchmark indicates the president and other democratic leaders have made significant cuts to their vast spending plan to achieve a compromise that satisfies both moderate and progressive democratic leaders neither of which will be really satisfied democratic leaders have set an october 31st deadline to reach an agreement on the spending plan and a separate 1.2 trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure deal remember both the reconciliation bill and the infrastructure bill are both on the line and other developments uh, Rand paul says democrats uh, will squeeze money out of ordinary people rather than just the rich and the washington post editorial board they scolded progressives amid the democrats spending battle saying stop demanding a revolution from president biden larry kudlow suggests mansion and cinema may be a lovely couple, or rather make a lovely couple, fighting Democrats' spend and tax agenda. And NBC's Chuck Todd says the burden is on President Biden and the White House to resolve the Democrat infighting on spending, urging him to take control of this. Well, he seems to have done that. At least that's what we're being told. And uh, by doing so, he's reducing the amount of money to be spent and taking things off the table. In other news, Terry McAuliffe abruptly ended an interview telling a local Virginia reporter, you should have asked better questions, questions that your uh, readers are interested in. Well, the reporter responded, we did. Well, Democratic gubernatorial candidate McAuliffe cut his interview short with a local Virginia TV station and scolded the reporter. WJLA 7 news reporter Nick Manock, he conducted interviews with the former governor and his GOP rival, sharing highlights on air while releasing the full interviews and transcripts online. However, the anchor offered a disclaimer to viewers who may notice that uh, Youngkin's interview was much longer than McAuliffe's. That's McAuliffe's opponent, the Republican. So if you watch those entire interviews on our website, we do want to point out that Terry McAuliffe's interview was uh, shorter than our interview with Glenn Youngkin. That was not by our doing. Elias told viewers during Tuesday's evening newscast, Nick offered both candidates 20 minutes exactly to be fair for the interviews. McAuliffe abruptly ended Seven News interview after just 10 minutes and told Nick that he should have asked better questions and that Nick should have asked questions Seven News viewers care about. That's what he said. 
In other developments, an MSNBC contributor said he thinks Republicans are going to cheat to win 2022 midterm elections. Others, observers, are asking, given what's happening, will they actually have to? Well, Virginia Republican gubernatorial candidate Glenn Youngkin vows to hold Loudoun County officials responsible after the alleged sexual assaults that went underreported. That is, if he wins and the race is now uh, statistically tied. Vice President um, Kamala Harris hit the campaign trail with gubernatorial candidate McAuliffe amid the tight race for the Virginia governor's seat. And McAuliffe nodded as Stacey Abrams told Democrat voters she actually won the Georgia governor's race. Now, when Trump says it, he's considered a lunatic. When she says it, McAuliffe just nods like, yeah, we, we know. Meghan McCain is opening up about being a conservative woman in the mainstream media in an exclusive interview with Sean Hannity. McCain joined Hannity for an exclusive interview in which she discussed her departure from The View. Uh, I'm just traumatized looking at it. Man, that's brutal, host Sean Hannity said after viewing clips of exchanges between McCain and View host Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg. McCain said the way she was treated caused her to rethink her job. My four years in an uh, anthropological experiment at left-wing media had to come to an end. Well, as the token conservative on the show, McCain alleged she was targeted and treated differently by fellow hosts for being pro-life and for not voting for President Barack Obama. I don't think that people who go into liberal spaces, which is basically every other space except Fox News, I don't think you uh, should be punished for it. But that's unfortunately exactly what happened to me. Now, if it was really a serious show, it would have... uh, you know, a couple of conservatives, a couple of, liber- of uh, liberals, and maybe a libertarian or two. Well, The View co-host Sonny Hostin scolded Chicago Mayor Lightfoot for flouting her own mask mandate. That's, you know, what a lot of these leaders are doing. And Meghan McCain blamed her hostile View colleagues for her exit in her emotional memoir, if you're interested in more about it. Well, the Landry, or rather the Laundry family lawyer has released a statement after the possible human remains have been found. Chris and Roberta Laundry were at the reserve earlier today when human remains and some of Brian's possessions were located in an area where they had initially advised law enforcement that Brian may be. Chris and Roberta will wait for the forensic identification of the human remains before making any additional comments. The Laundry family lawyer, Stephen uh, Bertolino, told Fox News, uh, apparently... Uh, human remains have been found and some of the possessions they know to have belonged to uh, Brian uh, La- Laundry have been found as well. And it should take a day or so before they can be the remains can be specifically identified. Apparently, the area had been underwater. In other news, Vice President Kamala Harris video urging churchgoers to vote for McAuliffe may be illegal And then the um, January 6th committee has recommended Steve Bannon face criminal contempt charges for defying a subpoena. We'll see where that goes. Well, feds just put three GOP-led states on notice over their noncompliance with their COVID rules. And the world's biggest movie theater chain is about to make a blockbuster change. We'll follow that story. Procter & Gamble is combating inflation with price hikes in most categories. And Governor DeSantis suggests Florida could be the key to alleviating the supply chain pain we're now experiencing. Well, In-N-Out Burger is refusing to play along with the vaccine mandate and the San Francisco Department of Public Health closed down one of their locations from In-N-Out. We refuse to become the vaccination police for any government. We fiercely disagree with any government dictate that forces a private company to discriminate against customers who choose to patronize their business, end quote. 
From another story, despite multiple warnings, In-N-Out employees continue to let customers into the restaurant without verifying their vaccination status since at least late September. The city's indoor vaccine mandate for businesses, including restaurants, went into effect on August the 20th. In-N-Out acknowledged the enforcement violation, calling San Francisco's indoor vaccination requirement intrusive, improper and offensive governmental overreach. A new poll indicates that former President Trump has higher favorability than current President Biden. The um, uh, call, the call uh, for this shock poll is an unintentional admission of gross bias. Well, Chicago police officers who retired instead of vaccinating uh, may be denied retirement benefits they have earned. From the story, roughly 35 percent of the city's 12,770 officers could be placed on no pay status in the foreseeable future. A memo obtained by CNN states any civilian or sworn employee who disobeys a direct order to comply with the city's vaccination policy will become the subject of a disciplinary investigation that could result in a penalty up to and including separation from the Chicago Police Department. Furthermore, sworn members who retire while under disciplinary investigation may be denied retirement credentials. Until further notice, the use of elective time by sworn CPD members is restricted. Furthermore, the use of elective time will require prior approval from the deputy chief or above within the requesting member's chain of command. From the Hill, this type of action is usually reserved for times when violence is expected to be particularly high in the city, including holiday weekends. But no, this is based on their desire to control their own destiny. Who'd have, who'd have thought it? You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, we had anticipated a conversation on the book on atheism by our friend, Eric Metaxas, he's on a book tour and some logistics made it uh, necessary for him to postpone that conversation. We'll have it next week and I'll fill you in on the details when he'll be with me. We're going to share a classic interview with Dr. Robert Jeffress in the five o'clock hour. His latest book is Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. Coming up in the second hour. I want to remind you that this is October, which I'm sure you didn't forget, but this is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so we are offering a Pastor Appreciation Rest and Relaxation Getaway. During this month, you can show love to your pastors. Uh, when you enter the Pastor Appreciation Rest and Relaxation Getaway Giveaway, enter for your pastor's chance to win a seven-day getaway for two to The Cove. That, of course, is the ministry of the Billy Graham Association in North Carolina. It includes airfare and meals, a $500 Visa gift card, and more. You can show your pastor that you love and appreciate them for the hard work they do. Enter today at kpdq.com. You have until the end of the month, kpdq.com. While returning to the news, Southwest Airlines canceled their plan to place unvaccinated workers on unpaid leave. Southwest has uh, scrapped that plan. Um, they've applied for but haven't received a religious or medical exemption on unpaid leave as of a federal deadline in December. Uh, for those who have not done so, um, they've given them a pass. Well, Southwest Senior Vice President of Operations and Hospitality uh, and the vice president and chief people officer wrote to staff on Friday that if employees requests for an exemption uh, haven't been approved by December 8th, they could continue to work while following mask and distancing guidelines until the request has been reviewed. 
Well, Senator Joe Manchin continues to give the uh, Biden agenda fits. Uh, Democrats are facing growing headaches and heartaches, maybe, over their sweeping social spending bill as they're struggling to show momentum ahead of the end of the month deadline they've imposed. Ed Morrissey points out this gets back to a central theme playing out in this session in Congress, which is that Democrats apparently don't listen to each other. Manchin has been remarkably consistent on this point, as well as others in play for the reconciliation bill. Not only have his fellow Democrats failed to take him seriously, they apparently haven't even bothered to check in with him before suggesting these offers for compromise. And there's a lot going on behind closed doors at this point. Well, the U.S. National Recreation and Park Association is now troubled by the word American. I hope the FCC doesn't censor me for using the word American, which is apparently so offensive to the U.S. National I wonder why national and U.S. doesn't bother them, but U.S. National Recreation and Park Association, they're troubled by the word American. Now, it seems to me if you are triggered so easily and troubled by the word American, you probably need to work, look for other work and certainly not working for the American government on behalf of the American people to uh, try to establish American principles and laws. There, I've said it. Well, the National Recreation and Park Association exhaustive 17 page equity language guide for parks and recreation professionals includes meticulous instructions on what words are acceptable or unacceptable in speaking about race, age, gender, sexual orientation and ability. And apparently one's um, association with the nation in which they live. Um, NRPA says this, use caution with this word. When we talk about parks and recreation serving communities, we are usually talking about how they serve all people, whether or not they are a U.S. citizen. Referring to residents or members of a community is a more inclusive approach. Likewise, avoid using the term Americans generally uh, for a group because it limits the group to those who have citizenship status as Americans. I feel so much uh, better. I feel enlightened. I have clarity now. As an American citizen, that uh, somehow being an American citizen and making reference to it is offensive. And that if someone uh, from another country refers to themselves as a German or a, an Austrian, uh, I, I, I guess I should be offended by that, but I choose not to. Oh, what a season we are in this country. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're winding our way through some of the top news stories of the day. And uh, later in the second hour, <clears throat> we'll share a conversation I had with Robert Jeffress. Uh, Dr. Jeffress is the author of Invincible. We were anticipating a, a conversation with Eric Metaxas, but he's on tour and had to reschedule our interview. So that'll be next week and I'll let you know <clears throat> more specifically when. Well, Fox News ratings soared past MSNBC and CNN combined. Remember when CNN and MSNBC gained ground? Well, those days appear to be far behind us from Fox News. Uh, Fox News Channel has been the most watched basic cable network for 35 straight weeks, while MSNBC and CNN struggle for relevancy. Fox News averaged 1.4 million viewers to finish the week of October 11th through the 17th as the only basic cable network to crack the 1 million viewer plateau. During the primetime hours of 8 to 11, Fox News averaged 2.3 million viewers compared to 1.2 million from MSNBC and only 661,000 for CNN. Fox News has now outdrawn CNN and MSNBC combined in both total day and primetime viewership for nine straight weeks. 
Well, Netflix CEO Ted Sarandis has backed down from his support for comedian Dave Chappelle. I knew it was only a matter of time as employees plan to walk out. Cancel culture claims another victim. Well, from the story, the CEO, Ted Sarandos, he admits he screwed up, that's his phrase, in his multiple defenses of Dave Chappelle's special. Chappelle came under criticism from uh, for transphobic jokes in The Closer, and there's been a whirlwind of controversy behind the scene at uh, Netflix. Well, the media is celebrating the new trans four-star admiral uh, because a man dressed as a woman gets special treatment. Well, from the Babylon Bee, uh, arms race heats up just as China reveals space nukes. America responds with trans admiral. Senator Ted Cruz um, bill would transfer illegal immigrants to ritzy Democrat vacation spots. Cruz explained, I'm introducing this crucial legislation to alleviate the massive overload at the southern border by establishing new ports of entry in Democrat-led communities such as North Hero, Vermont, where Bernie Sanders spends his summers, and Martha's Vineyard, where Democrat elites host their cocktail parties, end quote. Well, Democrats abandoned free community college as the White House warns the reconciliation bill that costs zero dollars will shrink below two trillion dollars. Now, I have a hard time doing the math when it costs zero dollars, how it shrinks to two trillion and why it needs to. But Democrats also pared back their Orwellian IRS bank reporting proposal. Well, sort of. Not exactly. It was six hundred. Now it's ten thousand. Well, thanks to open borders, illegal immigration arrests hit a 35-year high, and Facebook has finally acknowledged that it allows messages on human smuggling, or trafficking, if you will. Well, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has tested positive for COVID, and the White House has rolled out an unnecessary plan to vaccinate hardly at-risk kids against COVID. San Francisco temporarily closed in and out for not enforcing the vaccine mandate, but the restaurant fired back once again, saying, we refuse to become the vaccination police for any government. The Chicago Police Union president estimates more than 3,000 officers are defying the vaccine mandate. That will have a significant impact on law enforcement there. New York City plans to require COVID vaccinations for all public employees. Well, parents are fighting segregation in Boston area public schools. And it's interesting, it's segregation that's being imposed by the left, returning to the roots that the Democrats sprung from many, many years ago. A climate scientist Quit Berkeley over a canceled speak, uh, speaker and the, pol- the politicization of science. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. A record-breaking 100 ships are anchored and awaiting uh, the Los Angeles and Long Beach ports, which aren't quite up to speed, as the president announced. This is what we're going to do in response. Well, undermanned Portland police have resorted to traffic barrels to stop drive-by shootings as murders soar here. We've exceeded our record. Meanwhile, there is a significant decline in school enrollment for all age groups. Well, CNN spent the last two weeks of October without any program reaching one million viewers. And Terry McAuliffe shut down an interview while chiding a reporter for not asking better questions. Investigators found the a uh, long chain of failure um, that left sailors unprepared to fight the USS uh, Bonham Richard fire some years back. Well, on this day in history, 1803, the U.S. Senate ratifies the Louisiana Purchase. 1944, during World War II, General Douglas MacArthur steps ashore, the uh, lady in the Philippines, two and a half years after saying, I shall return. 
1947, the House Un-American Activities Committee opens hearings into alleged communist influence and infiltration in the U.S. motion picture industry. 1967, a jury in Meridian, Mississippi, convicts seven men of violating the civil rights of slain civil rights workers James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner. The seven receive um, prison terms ranging from three to ten years. On this day in history, in 1973, in the so-called Saturday Night Massacre, Special Watergate Prosecutor Archibald Cox is dismissed and Attorney General Elliot L. Richardson and Deputy Attorney General William R. Ruckel's house resign. 1990, three members of the rap group Two Live Crew are acquitted by a jury in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, of violating obscenity laws with an adults-only concert in nearby Hollywood the previous June. 1999, the government lays out new rules to protect children's privacy on the Internet and to shield them from commercial email. 2001, officials announced that anthrax has been discovered in a house postal facility on Capitol Hill. And on this day in history, 2004, the U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Ivan Chip Frederick pleads guilty to abusing Iraqi detainees at Abu Ghraib prison. Frederick would be sentenced to eight years in prison and paroled in 2007. 2011, Muammar Gaddafi, then 69, Libya's dictator for 42 years, is killed as revolutionary fighters overwhelm his hometown of Sirte and capture the last major bastion of resistance two months after his regime falls. 2018, Saudi Arabia announces that journalist Jamal Khashoggi was killed in Saudi Arabia's consulate in Istanbul. There is immediate international skepticism over the Saudi account of Khashoggi's death during a fist fight. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, President Trump says the U.S. will pull out of a landmark arms deal agreement with the former Soviet Union. He says Russia is violating the pact and that it is uh, keeping the U.S. from developing new weapons. Well, Senate Republicans today blocked Democrats' attempt to open debate on the Freedom to Vote Act, a pared-back version of the elections legislation the Democrats attempted to pass earlier this year. Well, the Senate voted 51 to 49 to block debate on the bill, with all Senate Republicans voting against it. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer also voted against the bill, which will allow him to ask for another vote on the legislation, according to Senate rules. Well, Democrats contended that the legislation is necessary to expand voting access nationwide. Republicans countered that the law represents a federal takeover of elections that should be controlled by the states. This latest bill still subjects popular common sense state election integrity protections like voter ID to the whims of the federal bureaucrats. That's a quote from Minority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, on the Senate floor earlier today. It still sends government money to political campaigns for goodness sake, he said. It still puts Washington in the middle of the state's redistricting decisions and on and on. Well, Senator um, Angus King, an independent from Maine, who's previously expressed skepticism about eliminating the Senate filibuster, suggested that he could support changing Senate rules to pass the voting bill. When we're talking about the fundamental operation of democracy, which is actually a constitutional republic, I have to think a Senate rule will have to be modified or give way, King told the New York Times on Wednesday. Beware of what you're willing to jettison, lest it come back to haunt you. Well, in state after state, restrictive laws on voting and efforts to replace nonpartisan election administration with partisan processes designed to overturn the will of the voters have become more widespread. The Biden administration said in its statement, this landmark legislation is needed to protect the rights to vote, ensure the integrity of our elections and repair and strengthen American democracy, end quote. 
Well, the Free to Vote Act would make Election Day a federal holiday, standardize voter ID laws to allow a range of documentation uh, to constitute identification and make it easier to sue state legislatures over redistricting issues, which probably should happen in the state of Oregon. The legislation would also set a minimum 15-day early voting period for all elections and set national standards for mail-in voting. The bill also includes a measure to prevent election officials from being easily removed from office in response to former President Trump's claims that Democrats stole the 2020 election. The current bill is a compromise, in quotes, floated by Democrats after Senator Joe Manchin objected to some provisions in the previous voting legislation. Previous iterations of the bill would have taken redistricting authority from state lawmakers and placed that authority in so-called independent commissions. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Once again, Eric Metaxas will not join us today. He's on tour and had to reschedule our interview. That'll be next week. Uh, But we are replacing that interview with a reprise of Dr. Robert Jeffress. His book is Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. That'll be coming up in the second hour of today's program. I also want to remind you that Family Life's Weekend to Remember is coming up soon, and you and your spouse can win free registration and a two-night stay. It's a great chance to make an impact on your marriage, whether you're just starting out, need a refreshing boost, or want some practical tools. The event, November 19th through the 21st at the Red Lion Hotel on the River, Jansen Beach. You can enter to win today at kpdq.com or use the KPDQ mobile app. And while you're there, hey, make sure that you um, enter your pastor's uh, in the uh, seven-day getaway uh, that we're also hosting at kpdq.com during this Clergy Appreciation Month. Well, there's an ongoing humanitarian and national security calamity at the southern border. Thirteen U.S. service members are dead, and an unknown number of our citizens remain stranded in Afghanistan following the disastrous withdrawal. COVID-19 is still rampant, despite the president's promise that he would defeat the virus while his vaccine mandate has divided the country. Americans are not taking the millions of jobs available, and the economy is stalled, as many have chosen the option of being paid by the government to stay home instead of working. The administration failed to identify the growing supply chain disruption, which didn't occur overnight and threatens to further strangle the economy. Uh, The person overseeing that agency is on maternity leave. Labor shortages are a contributing factor, including a lack of truck drivers to help unload ships and transport goods. And energy prices continue to rise, helping to drive a mounting inflation and hurting Americans, especially those with moderate or low incomes at a time when the economy should be hitting its stride coming out of the pandemic lockdowns. Well, it is uh, on the costs of energy where Biden's failures are most starkly visible. On his very first day in office, you might recall, the president scrapped the Keystone XL pipeline, killing 11,000 jobs in the process and making good on his campaign promise to be hostile to the fossil fuel industry. Well, continuing his assault on natural resource development, he suspended oil and natural gas leases in Alaska. Well, former President Donald Trump had propelled America to energy independence. The Biden administration has purposely squandered it. His policies are designed to reduce domestic production of petroleum, meaning we've become necessarily more reliant on foreign sources, the very thing we were attempting to avoid. 
Well, his approach has been an economic disaster. According to the Wall Street Journal, the price of crude oil has jumped by 64 percent to a seven-year high. The cost of natural gas has doubled in just six months. Heating oil is more expensive by 68% just in time for winter. And gasoline is over $3 per gallon on the national average, and that's just the average, up by almost a dollar over the past year. Energy costs are one driver of inflation, which is already a certain uh, concern and could get worse. Well, the situation he created has led Biden into an embarrassing situation where he's been forced to plead for rescue. Over the summer, the administration begged OPEC to increase oil production to combat rising gasoline prices. It refused. This month, Reuters reported that the Biden White House has approached domestic oil and gas producers asking for help. These are the very companies that the president has been demonizing, and now he wants them to save him from, well, himself. Ann Bradbury, the chief executive officer for the American Exploration and Production Council, explained who the culprit is. By pursuing policies that restrict supply and make it harder to produce oil and natural gas here in America, Americans will have to pay more for their energy, she says. But never fear. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki indicated that the higher prices just mean that Biden's policies are going according to plan. Now, is that what she really meant to say? Is that what she really meant to convey? Uh, she went on to say, certainly, we all want to keep gasoline prices low. Well, that's not true. We all don't want to. This is by design. But the threat of the crisis, the climate crisis, certainly can't wait any longer. One week later, she appeared to soften the message somewhat in recognition of how higher energy prices affect people, actual people, but attempted to mislead about the scope of the problem. The American people are, of course, impacted by rising prices of gas in some parts of the country. Not all, she said. I'm not sure which part is excluded from this. This, of course, is not true. Gas prices are higher in all 50 states. White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain then underscored the indifference of the administration to the concerns of regular Americans by approving a tweet from Harvard economist Jason Furman, who labeled economic problems we're facing, such as inflation, supply chain, so on, as merely high class problems. End quote. McLean, quote, uh, tweeted Furman and enthusiastically agreed, posting this with uh, two hand emojis pointing to Furman's original post. Well, for Americans who are still struggling, it must be jarring that the White House chief of staff thinks rising grocery bills driven by fuel prices and inflation are high class problems. Such a callous uh, dismissal of real world issues with regular people they're purported to represent. The endorsement of an Ivy League elitist view of that working people are just imagining things simply feeds the prevailing belief that Biden simply is, well, bad at his job. But rather than face reporters or describe to Americans what he's doing to combat these severe economic problems and all of the other crises that he's inflicted on the country, the president has almost entirely avoided taking questions. In fact, earlier today, he had a a press appearance in which he spent probably 10, 15 minutes talking about his childhood Well, such a callous dismissal is what we're getting rather than face reporters or describe to Americans what he's doing. He talks about his childhood Well, on the rare occasion that he comes to the cameras to deliver remarks. Most often he finishes speaking, turns around and abruptly rather returns to the recesses of the White House. It's an apt image presented by an administration that is usually very concerned about visuals and symbolism. The president is leaving the lasting impression that, as he does to members of the press, he's simply turning his back on the American people and not explaining what is surely to be his solution to these growing 
problems. I was going to connect that with um, another thing. Uh, Tucker Carlson on his program yesterday uh, in a lengthy uh, monologue made the point that the White House has new instructions for Americans. Lower your expectations. And that seems to be the response to the travails of the American people who are simply trying to make it through from one day to the other with some of the challenges that we're facing. Well, Democrats have a new strategy to enhance the security of Americans, fire those who provide it. On Thursday, the U.S. Navy became the latest branch of the military to announce it will discharge sailors who don't meet their definition of fully vaccinated by the 28th of next month. Following the president's vaccine mandate, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin directed all military personnel to be vaccinated against COVID on the 25th of August. As the deadline looms nearer, the military is now forced to deal with the reality that many service members will not comply and they're increasingly turning these... uh, Uh, rather turning away from these dictates to punishments, and there will be consequences. Unvaccinated sailors are already suffering harassment and intimidation by their commanders. That's what First Liberty Institute General Counsel Mike Berry says. They're being treated like second-class citizens. Well, some know what that feels like already. He also said the Navy plans to issue general less-than-honorable discharges to those who refuse the vaccine, which would follow them around the rest of their lives, inhibiting their ability to obtain via benefits, unemployment benefits, medical benefits, etc. The Navy's also trying to hit them in the pocketbook by recouping from them money spent to train those who refuse to vaccinate, um, even as it kicks them out. The Navy's new punishment scheme does nothing to accommodate conscientious objectors either. In fact, no branch is, Barry points out. I'm not aware of a single religious exemption being granted across all four branches of the military out of thousands. The Navy also won't make exception for medical conditions that prohibit vaccination or even discuss the possibility of natural immunity, which the data show to offer better protection than the vaccine. If the military follows through with expelling service members who don't comply with the mandate forced upon them, Uh, With all the inflexibility um, that it has, they may wake up one day to find they're severely understaffed and rather unable to meet the U.S. national security objectives. The Great American Vaccine Purge. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. News and traffic coming up at the top of the hour, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. We had planned on a conversation with Eric Metaxas. He's on a book tour and had to reschedule. We are going to talk with him next week in his place. We're going to share a conversation I had earlier with Robert Jeffress. Dr. Jeffress is the author of Invincible, Conquering the Mountains that Separate You from the Blessed Life. That's coming up in the next couple of segments right here on the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Attorney General Merrick Garland is scheduled to testify in his first oversight hearing with the House Judiciary Committee on Thursday, offering both sides of the aisle opportunities to press him on some key issues. Texas abortion ban, voting rights, the border crisis and the January 6th riots could all come up as big topics that have caught attention during his brief time leading the Department of Justice. Republicans will likely hone in on his recent memo announcing that the FBI would investigate threats or intimidation by parents against school boards across the U.S. Well, some of what to expect are parents' domestic terrorists. 
Well, Garland's memo combined two already explosive political issues, domestic terrorism and critical race theory, in a way that will likely prompt questions about parents' rights. Republicans have expressed the desire to determine how the Department of Justice views purported threats from parents, which in most cases mean parents are speaking up in opposition to something that's nearer and dearer to his heart. What they see as a grassroots uprising has been disparaged by the National School Board Association for including intimidation and harassment. Garland's memo didn't use the term domestic terrorist and clarified that spirited debate was not the target of his probe. But many have raised concerns about the timing of his memo, which was released just days after the NSBA sent a letter to the Biden administration suggesting that parents may be engaged in domestic terrorism. The letter went on to ask the administration to consider its power under the Patriot Act, the sweeping surveillance legislation passed in the aftermath of the attacks on 9-11. Also likely to come up in that hearing on Thursday, the Garland family's involvement in the education sector. Well, shortly after Garland's memo, news surfaced that his son-in-law, Jan Tanner, co-founder of uh, an education consultancy firm that not only pushed critical race theory related ideas, but also provided services to school districts across the country. Now, most of the parents are, well, many of the parents are opposed to critical race theory, and that has um, resulted in rather lively school board meetings. Well, Garland's ties uh, to the company have raised questions about how much of his family stands to benefit from law enforcement cracking down on school board opposition. Well, the company, Panorama Education, has said it supported 13 million students in districts of all shapes and sizes, 50-plus of the largest 100 districts in the country, and state agencies use Panorama Education, including the New York City Department of Education, Clark County School District in Nevada, Dallas ISD in Texas, and the Hawaii Department of Education. Forbes reported that the company also garnered tens of millions of dollars in business investment in addition to $27 million worth of payments from school systems across, or rather between 2017 and 2020. Since 2017, it reportedly saw a nearly fourfold increase in business. The number of school systems it worked with grew from 400 to 1,500, as noted in a recent press release. Conflict of interest and the the, the law specifically says not only can he not financially benefit from uh, a company that he is over uh, that he's overseeing or issues that are related to that company, but it cannot benefit members of his family either. So that's very likely to come up on Thursday. Details about the investigation and implications for free speech are also likely to Uh, be predominant in this um, hearing. Garland's memo indicated concern for free speech, stating while spirited debate debate about policy matters is protected under the Constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views, which is precisely what um, the Justice Department is uh, intending to do, intimidate individuals based on their views, their opposition to what the school boards are forcing on their children. Well, regardless, critics have raised concerns with the probe, which injects federal law enforcement into an arena typically reserved to state and local governments. Senator Josh Hawley, he's a Republican out of Missouri. He sent Garland a letter earlier this month expressing concern that the investigation could chill constitutionally protected speech, calling the letter um, from the National School Boards Association 
purging uh, pure gaslighting. He also worried about the way it described anti-CRT efforts. The hearing could also touch on harassment towards health workers. As a recent uh, letter from the National Association of County and City Health Officials outlined concerns similar to those listed by the National School Boards Association. Is critical race theory divisive? Does it violate students' and parents' rights? Well, much of the debate over CRT centers on whether the teaching of racial curricula uh, contravenes American ideas about equality, justice, and free speech. Now, throughout the country, lawsuits and protests have emerged alleging that critical race theory, which seeks to combat racism, is itself racist. I would say, having studied much of it, that yes, there are elements of it that certainly are. Well, as the nation's top law enforcement officer, Garland may encounter questions about whether CRT relates related lessons rather violate the Constitution and how much um, say parents should have in how these lessons are taught in the schools. In a similar vein, Garland may face questions about state laws that attempt to ban CRT and whether those are constitutional. Critical race theory bans have encountered criticism for, among other things, allegedly violating teachers' free speech. But, of course, they're not talking about teachers' free speech, but what the official curriculum is uh, in the schools where these parents' children are being indoct- I mean, taught. Well, a conservative uh, government watchdog is seeking information related to reports that Attorney General Merrick Garland's son-in-law is the co-founder of that company that promoted CRT in the classroom. And that's going to be a big deal coming up on Thursday. Well, none of the uh, three COVID vaccines available in the U.S. have been given the green light by the Food and Drug Administration for children under the age of 12. And only the Pfizer shot has been approved for teens under 16. However, that fact hasn't stopped the administration from aggressively planning to push COVID vaccine onto children ages 5 to 11 as soon as the FDA gives its approval. Well, Joe Biden made uh, his agenda clear in a speech last week given from the White House. Uh, if authorized, we are ready, he said. We have purchased enough vaccine for all children between the ages of 5 and 11 in the United States, and it will be convenient for parents to get their children vaccinated at trusted locations, and families will be able to sleep easier at night knowing their kids are protected as well. Now, the question is whether or not mandates will be attached to these uh, soon-to-be-available vaccines for kids. Indeed, according to an NBC report on the White House rollout, The Biden administration has purchased 65 million pediatric doses of Pfizer BioNTech vaccine, enough to vaccinate the estimated 28 million children in this age group. Now, obviously, for the Biden administration, it's not a matter of if the FDA grants approval. It's just a matter of when they will grant approval. It is a certainty. And the date for this almost certain approval looks to be sometime in early November, as an FDA advisory committee is scheduled to meet to discuss the issue On the 26th of this month. Well, the big question is why all the urgency to get kids the COVID jab? The data clearly show that COVID is only a minor health threat toward children ages 0 to 18 and even less of a threat to children 0 to 11. According to the CDC, 605 children ages 0 to 18 have died of COVID since the pandemic began. Meanwhile, over that same time span, roughly 50,000 children under the age of 14 have died from all causes. To put this in um, context, the same number of kids age five and under drown in pools in 2019 and have died uh, that have died of COVID. 
Clearly, COVID uh, poses neither a major nor even a significant health threat to children. But that factor hasn't stopped the authoritarians like uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom from issuing a COVID vaccine mandate for all children at both public and private schools. So what will come down the pike in the short term? Remains to be seen, but my guess is it'll be very similar to what's happening in California. There may, in fact, be a um, mandate for kids who are attending schools, perhaps both public and private, and that most certainly will be challenged in the courts. We'll continue to follow that story as it develops. Coming up, we're going to hear from Robert Jeffress. Dr. Jeffress is the pastor of a very, very large church and the author of Invincible, Conquering the Mountains That Separate You from the Blessed Life. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.